Well, thank you for um, that warm introduction. Um, I, I, you know, good morning, Trinity Church. Good morning. Um, I'm excited to be here, so excited to be here. Um, so excited that I went out and got a fresh haircut yesterday. Um, <laughs> I wish you wouldn't shine so much, right? Um, you know, I was listening to, uh, just trying to get a feel for, for Trinity, and I know that Doug Baker was here uh, last week, right? And he, and he made a comment. He said, wow, boy, do you guys sing? And let me just kind of echo that and say, wow, it was, it's so nice to walk into a house of worship and hear worship, right? And so, um, and, and so I will add to that and say, I've only been here for about an hour now. And, um, you know, when you walk into a church, sometimes you, you get a feel for the church right away. You see if the Spirit's moving. And immediately I felt like the, this is a place of love. This is a place of kindness and care. And I've been the recipient of that. And I can feel it. And so I just want to say there's something great here. And, and so know that, love that, believe that. And for when I hear from Rick Langer, um, Trinity is a God-loving God-honoring, Bible-believing church. And nothing gets me more excited than to be with believers who, who love God's Word. So let's take a deep dive today, shall we? Let's get into God's Word. Let's see what it has to say for us and see how we can uh, receive that to be transformed and, and, and to be renewed in our minds and to glorify our God and Father. Amen? Okay, so there's something I like to do uh, once in a while um, when, I, when I preach somewhere. Um, and that's, I'm going to say God is good, and you're going to say? That's right. Now, two things before we do it, though. We have to do this with a little bit of, like, oomph. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it just starts going like, wah, 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 wah. And, like, you know, it's just, that's not how we want to worship, okay? So you got to help me out, and we got to, like, rock this place out, okay? Second, I just want to say this short statement has... Um, so much depth and meaning, and I love it. Because I know God is good here, but often I don't feel it here. So saying this becomes my confessional statement. We declare that God is good all the time, but sometimes we need to confess to the Lord that sometimes it's hard to feel like God is good when life gets hard, and that He is good when times are tough or when life becomes full of pain. Easy to say, hard to live out. So let's say it. Let's declare it. Let's make it our confession. Ready? God is good. All the time. Woo! God is good. All the time. And God is good. And all the time. Amen. Let me pray really quick. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time that you have ordained in this time, in this space, in this place to meet us here. Lord, we thank you for that intersection that we can come before you free and confident, covered with the grace and mercy of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we worship you this morning, God, would you unleash your word upon us? God, as, as broken of a vessel as I am, God, we know that you are great and that your power is made perfect even in the weakness that I carry. So we, we focus our thoughts on you. So now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts 
be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so let me start this morning by asking you a question. Has life ever given you a rock? I'm sure you still remember the Charlie Brown series. And if you don't remember the Charlie Brown series, well, you're just too young. We should take away your license to do, like, well, just about everything. Uh, Charlie Brown was the main character in a comic strip called Peanuts. The creator, Charles Schultz, says this about Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown must be the one who suffers because he is a caricature of of the average person. Most of us are much more antiquated, or sorry, Acquainted. (laughs) I'm feeling like Charlie Brown right now. (laughs) Much more acquainted with losing than winning. See, at Halloween, Charlie Brown would get a rock. Everyone else would get candy, but he would get rocks in his bag. And this type of event characterized Charlie's life. His Halloween costume had 18 holes in it instead of two. He never won a baseball game. Actually, he did once, but his star player bet bet against it. He never got to kick the football because right as he would, it would get taken away from him. Ever feel like that? His kite always got stuck in something. It took him 43 years before he hit his first home run. Have you ever felt like life has given you a rock? When I start to think about all the difficulties of life that people around me are going through, life hardly seems fair. What rocks are you carrying with you right now? Are you dealing with a medical issue? Maybe a loved one is suffering from cancer or autoimmune disease, or you have some kind of chronic pain for which there just doesn't seem to be an answer. My mom, Bless her soul, four-time cancer survivor. And to top it off, she just had a liver transplant eight years ago. Watching her go through all that pain, you, you, you start to wonder. Praise the Lord that she's still with us. She's turning to 79 this July. But I remember when I was younger, weekends used to be filled with weddings. Every weekend, we'd go to a wedding all summer long. Everybody getting married. Then kids' birthday parties after that. Lately, I've been going to more and more funerals. It's our parents, it's our friends' parents, and now it's becoming more and more friends. Maybe you're separated right now and headed towards a divorce. Maybe your parents are considering it. Maybe your parents already have, and years later, you still feel the effects. Or maybe you're watching your child deconstruct and they're separating from their spouse. I have friends right now, all over the place right now, they're, they're separating, they're deconstructing, they're just, some of them are just deconstructing, they're not even deconstructing, they're just having a hard time in their marriage. And as a parent, how do you watch your child go through that? They're still your child, from whether they're two or 52. It's so hard to watch your child go through a difficult time. And, and you sit there and like, you, there's, you feel like you want to do everything that you can to help. 
Maybe you've been the victim of abuse. I couldn't help but come to tears when a close friend of mine shared with me that she was the victim of sexual abuse in high school. We had been, a, been friends for a good 10 years, good friends for a good 10 years, before she was able to share that. Or maybe you've been left without a pastor, and you're seeking a new shepherd, a new direction. You're seeking God, but sometimes he's hard to find. I've been through rough times at church before, and I know how some of you must feel. Now, my, my situation was not the same as your situation. My home church a long time ago uh, went through a devastating split. My dad, had a, my dad had planted a church. He was a pastor, and he was the senior pastor, and it was, um, it was at its largest size and building good momentum when he had a stroke. And it was a debilitating stroke. So there was an associate pastor at the church at the time, and boy, was he full of energy. Excellent, excellent preacher, powerful preacher. And of all the associates that we've had over, over the decades, he was definitely the one that had the most charisma. But right when the elder board, including my father on the elder board, were ready to hand things over to him and ask him to be the next senior pastor, that associate uh, pastor took off with half the church and planted a new church. The sad part of all that, he left that church a year later and went back to Korea and just left all those people left. They, could, they couldn't come back. They were too embarrassed to come back. How do you have faith in the local church or your pastor after something like that? Or maybe you find yourself in a dark room, four walls and just you and the Lord. You're lonely, you're depressed, and you're sad, and you're tormented even more because you're surrounded by all these seemingly happy Christians. What are you going through? Whatever it might be, Maybe you feel like this person who left his cry for help on a prayer wall at Biola. This student writes this. Says, I'm, des I'm desperate. God, please, change my heart and heal it. Take my brokenness away and make it new. Please. God, take away the pain. Please, God. I can't stand to be lost from this anymore. You know my heart. How do I cry out to God when I'm in the state? What do you say to God when life becomes so hard and so painful? I feel like we haven't learned the words to cry out. Some of us, or some of us might feel like it's wrong to or just irreverent. Some of us might think in crying out to God is whining or complaining. How do you talk to God when life is miserable, some of us just don't have the right words. So to answer this question, I'd like to turn our attention to the Psalms. Why the Psalms? Because I think the Psalms give us voice and expression of the very emotions and thoughts that we all, we all have. It helps us express the pain that we feel and the hardships that we're enduring. In fact, someone once said this, while most of the Bible speaks to us, the Psalms speak to God for us. The Psalms give us a voice when we are in pain. The Psalms show us how to pray when the world is broken, when our families are broken, 
when we are broken. Now, there are a lot of different kinds of psalms, all right? There are wisdom psalms. There are royal psalms. There are penitential psalms. There are psalms that are hymns, which really praise and lift up God and extol him and so forth. This morning, I'll be talking about lament psalms specifically. Lament psalms have a specific form or shape. They have, a, they have certain ingredients that make them lament psalms instead of a royal psalm, okay? What do I mean by ingredients? You ever heard of the Acts prayer? A-C-T-S? What does that mean? A stands for? C stands for? T stands for? S stands for? That's a certain way, that's a certain way of praying, and it's a form that's been given us. And guess what? Laments actually have a form too. So we're going to open our Bibles to Psalm 3. Psalm 3. Now, as we open to Psalm 3, this is not really our message for today. Um, or, sorry, our passage for today. We'll be using Psalm 3 as an example, but we'll really be talking about lament psalms and be pulling in a bunch of all, uh, different kinds of psalms, lament psalms. But here's a fact as you get to Psalm 3. There are more lament psalms than any other, okay? Just over 40% of the psalms in the Psalter are lament psalms, 40%. That means that the biblical writers dealt with pain and misery just like we do. So we're going to look at the ingredients of what makes it a psalm, okay? I'm not going to read the passage through right now. We're going to go through it as we kind of pick it apart, if that's okay, all right? Now, to help you remember the ingredients of what a lament psalm is, brilliant scholars have come up with this beautiful, amazing mnemonic to help you remember, and it's in your sermon notes. It's called ACT-DAP. <laughs> ACT-DAP. You would have thought they could have come up with something better, but ACT-DAP it is, Okay? Now, one more thing we, before we dive in. The elements need not always be in this order, okay? ACT-DAP, it doesn't have to go in the order of ACT-DAP, and not every single element has to be there every time for it to be a lament, but generally this is what's in a lament, okay? So we're going to start off right away. What's the A in ACT-DAP? The A is address, address, okay? All that is, is, is in verse 1 you see, oh Lord, oh Lord, that's it. What's there to say about this? You're addressing God and you say, oh Lord. Well, you know what? I've got a lot to say about this. Because who you're praying to matters. Who are you praying to? It used to be I used to talk mainly about differences between our Christian God and the God of other religions, like the God of Mormonism. But sadly, I feel like more and more I have to talk to evangelicals as to whether we actually believe in the same God. Now, let me explain. Since I teach the Old Testament, I get a lot of questions. Hey, what's the deal with genocide? Right? I'm like, you want me to deal with What's the deal with slavery in the Old Testament, right? I mean, these are complicated questions. Um, the question I get the most, though, is like, hey, can you make me a tattoo? Like, can you give me the Hebrew for a tattoo, right? That's like the number one request that I get, and I never do them. I mean, I mean, they must really assume that, like, I really like them or something, because if I wrote something wrong, I'm just saying. They must think I'm a nice guy. So my chiropractor, my chiropractor, who's also a believer, comes up with this question. He says, hey, is God just a God of love? And I'm like, he's a God of love, but what do you mean just a God of love? He's like, you know, I, as he's cracking my neck, right? Like, well, I better answer this right. Um, uh, 
he had a small group leader that, that he got in an argument with, and, and that small group leader doesn't want to read the Old Testament because God is a God of judgment there, and he's a mean God, and he just wants to focus on, 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 on God's love, okay? Now, I, I, I certainly understand that. There's a lot of wrath in the Old Testament, but just like we'd have a one-sided view of God, like if we focused only on the wrath, we'd have a one-sided view of God if we focused just on his, on, on his love, right? And you can't have grace without justice. You can't have forgiveness without consequences to sin. They, they have to work together. So you can't just sit there and say, oh, I don't like the Old Testament God and ignore that part of who God is. Or somebody, some, some, do you ever hear somebody say, I can't believe a God who would do that. So since when do we get to decide and define who God is for ourselves? Understand this. The lament forms that we're about to talk about today, um, it wasn't unique to the Old Testament. The way we found the lament forms is we're looking at other lamentations outside of the Bible. In fact, the most famous one was the prayer of lamentation to the goddess Ishtar, okay? So it's not the form. This isn't a magical formula for you, okay? What matters most than anything else is the God that we're praying to, amen? Okay. Get, let's get to know the God that you're praying to. Now, the second, the C, is complaint. Complaint. This is not saying, you know, be a complainer, right? We're not talking about posting a Yelp review of some bad service we got, right? This is more of the picture of a courtroom and a petitioner or a plaintiff bringing a complaint. So it's a description of what's actually wrong. What's the difficult thing that the psalmist is facing? What's the injustice that they're facing? This is the place that the distress is described. It's a description of the misery that the psalmist is going through. So now remember the word complaint. They're using the word complaint so that the mnemonic would work beautifully, like act out. Right? I mean, because we couldn't come up with something better. Um, but something like plea or distress or misery would work just as fine. In Psalm 3, in striding right after, O Lord, it says, How many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him and God. Think about this. There's no salvation with him and God. These are people within Israel. And if we're kind of analogized a little bit, like what if someone in the church would tell you there's no salvation for you in God? This is but one example, but there are many different kinds of complaints and many different kinds of lament psalms. Okay, you don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 142.4, I'm going to go through, I'm going to rip off a few of these, okay? So 142.4, it says this. It talks about loneliness and abandonment. The Bible talks about loneliness and abandonment. It says, look to the right and see. There is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. They even talk about when others are gossiping against us. Psalm 41.7 says this, All who hate me whisper about me. They imagine the worst for me. Often the distress is described through metaphors from nature. This is what the Psalms do. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. In Psalm 69, it says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. 
I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and flood sweeps over me. Now, as I read this, these verses, you'll read that, you'll notice that these, these complaints were in general categories. They weren't specific, okay? Scholarship has said, you know, we're, we're going to name this faceless enemies. If you notice, they're generic. They don't name specifically somebody. We wouldn't know in Psalm 3 that it was actually Absalom, David's own son, unless it was in the superscription. The psalm itself doesn't say that. It could have been a war enemy, the Philistines or the Babylons. It could have been an illness. It could have been drought or famine. It could have been financial distress. And we wouldn't have known any of this. Okay? So what you realize is being nonspecific was actually intended. Why? Why? Because this is where you get to insert your hardship in the blank. And the enemy is left faceless so that we can fill in the blank. It was meant for you, my friends. These psalms were meant for you for when you go through difficulty. Okay? So that's the complaint. The next item is trust. Trust. Goes from complaint, usually to a trust, with a but, okay, a, a contrasting conjunction, but, however, okay? And in Psalm 3, he says, this is my difficulty in 1 and 2. This is my hardship. And 3 says, but, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. This is where the statement of faith, the statement of trust in God comes. Okay? But, however, nevertheless, this is my prior situation, but I know now that there, this is nothing for you that you can't, that it's not something you, you can't overcome. So every time you see a trust section, though, typically it comes in two parts. Okay? Two parts. It comes in who God is, it's a description of who God is and what he has done. Who God is and what he has done. In the first, in, in verse 3, it says, you are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. That's who God is. He's the shield about me. He's my glory. He's the lifter of my head. And what has he done? You know what? When I cried aloud to the Lord, what has he done? He answered me. I laid down and slept, and I woke again, for he sustained me. He looks to the past and says, when I cried out to God, God is an answerer. He answered me and even, even sustains me in my difficulty. The trust section is meant for us to focus on who God is and what he's done, already done in my life. What acts of faithfulness can I base my faith on? What acts of faithfulness of God can I base my faith on? And that's the trust section. After that, with the D in ACTAP, it's deliverance plea. Deliverance plea. In verse 7, it says, Arise, O Lord, arise. Save me, O my God. This is where the actual statement it says, God, would you end the misery that I'm in right now? Now, sometimes I think that with our New Testament thinking caps on, we have a tendency to say, hey, pain is good, right? James, in the book of James says, right? He says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many kinds, right? 
And so we sit there and we're like, as a good Christian, I should embrace the pain and grow. And that's absolutely true, right? But we can't always be like John Wick. We can't always be like Rambo, who's get, who gets shot like 50 times and is still going and kills the bad guy. Still, right? We're sitting there and we're getting beat up. Or do you guys like remember Jean-Claude Van Damme? Is this anyone? Right? Hope I'm not aging myself out here, okay? But do you guys remember, like, he, he, he would get tied limb by limb to a tree and, like, in training and, like, get pulled apart. He's like, ah, right? And I feel like that's sometimes what we think we have to do in life. I need to build character. And I'm saying it's okay to ask God to relieve you from the misery that you're in. It's okay. After the deliverance plea, often comes the assurance. This is where the psalmist expresses the certainty that the prayer will be heard. I am sure, I am sure that the rescue will happen. And it usually speaks of it in the future tense. In Psalm 55, 23, it says, But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. You will do this. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days. Amen. <laughs> I, it says, I will trust you. I will trust you. Assurance. Where's the assurance, assurance section in Psalm 3? Is it there? It's a future statement. It's only there depending on what translation you read. Okay? If you... <laughs> In verse 7, it says, uh, you have smitten, where do I want to get smitten from, but smitten all my enemies on, my che uh, on the cheek. So if you're reading the NASB, it's in the past tense. If you're reading the ESV, it's actually in the present tense, for you smite all my enemies. If you're reading the NIV, it says, in, it's a command, smite my enemies, like smite the almighty smiter, right? You guys you know what I'm talking about, right? So wait, wait, what's going on here? Okay, long story short, I'm not going to get into the Hebrew grammar too much, but these are in what's called the perfect tense. It means it's a completed action. And what's happening here is that often this completed action, if it's completed, you think it's in the past tense, but often these are what some people call proleptic perfects or prophetic perfects. It's a completed action that someone is prophesying about that's going to be in the future. But it, it's put in the perfect tense because in the mind of the, of the person speaking it, it's as good as done. It's already done. So this, in this psalm, what's happening is that there, the assurance is so sure that it's in this perfect tense that it's already completed even though they're in the middle of their misery. That's the assurance section. He says, God, I trust you for who you are and who you are and what you've done. So that's going to lead me to my place of assurance. And finally, finally, the, the P is a promise to praise. A promise to praise, or it's a vow of thanksgiving, okay? It's a vow of thanksgiving. After lamenting and expressing misery, the psalmist can now go back and look at everything and then give praise. This, this praise will often be just a simple statement to God. In verse 8, it says, Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people, and that's it. That's the statement of praise. 
But just as often, the praise will come in the form of a promise or a vow. I vow that I will praise you. I will. I, will. I promise that I will lift up your name. Psalm 7, 17 says, I will, I will give thanks to the Lord to his righteous, due to his righteousness. And I will sing to the name of the Lord the Most High. See, folks, these laments are ultimately about God, not us. Yes, we are expressing, expressing our situation. Yes, the Psalms give us voice and expresses our cry, our pain, our misery. But they give us, they do so in the bigger context of who God is, how big He is, how great He is how merciful he is, how able God is. And so even when I'm at my worst, God is at his best. And that's what matters. And that's what matters. And so when we do this part, this praise promise, we do, so, we do that in, in our praise and worship. When we sing songs to the Lord in this sanctuary, we put aside ourselves. We bring our difficulties and we stop looking downward and inward, and we inst instead look upward and outward. All laments, all laments are supposed to lead to praise and worship and thanksgiving. In fact, you did it today. You did the song, Do It Again. And now it's my understanding that you did Do It Again last week. But Do It Again happened to match perfectly with the message I'm giving today. And so I had to ask the band to, Thank you, right? So if you look at the lyrics, right? We just learned about lament psalms. Where's the address? It's kind of hidden a little bit. You got to look in verse 2. Where's the address? It's just Jesus. Just like it was Lord, it was Jesus. It's there, okay? It's simple. One word, that's it, right? Where's the complaint? Where's the complaint? Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. Where's the trust? Remember, trust needs to start with a however or a but. But you have never failed me yet. And several times throughout the song it does that. And then in the bridge it says again, I've seen you move, you made a way. Remember, trust is who God is and what he's done. Who God is and what he's done. God makes a way, and most importantly, he never fails us. So what does that make God? That makes God faithful. God is faithful. That's who he is and what he's done right? Where's the deliverance plea? Where's the deliverance plea? It's usually an ask. A little tougher to find, but in the bridge, there's that, there's that, come, move the mountains. Come, move the mountains. Assurance. This is where the psalmist expresses the certainty that the prayer will be heard, right? I'm sure that the rescue will happen, future tense. It's the whole chorus. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. And where is the promise to praise? One more statement of trust. I never will forget. I won't forget. I will worship you. This is our vow. This is our vow. Now, before we close, and I realize I'm kind of running a little bit short on time here, but we're going to look at one more type of psalm, but we're going to do it really quickly, okay? Really quickly. And you're going to see why we can do it quick, quickly, okay? We're going to look at a thanksgiving psalm, a thanksgiving psalm, okay? 
A Thanksgiving psalm has the mnemonic IMART. IMART. Okay, it's not some internet shopping website, okay? It's IMART. And it comes from the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2, okay? Amos Obadiah Jonah, Amos, Amos Obadiah Jonah, Micah Nahum. It's in Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. This is one of the best examples of a Thanksgiving psalm. And so just to let you know, yes, you can have... The Psalter or the book of Psalms is a collection of psalms. So you don't always have to have a psalm just in the book of Psalms. They're in other places too. In the book of Jonah, there is a psalm right there in chapter 2. And it's a Thanksgiving psalm. Uh, and so let me give you the ingredients really quick, and let's see if you can find them. The first, the I and the I mart, is introductory address. Introductory address. Which means, basically, in verse 2, I cried out to the Lord, or I called out to the Lord. The M stands for misery. For misery. It's a previous description of one's misery. You had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. Okay? So it's a description of what that person went through. The A is the appeal for deliverance. Okay? What did they say back then when they were going into the misery? I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice, it says in verse 2. The R is the reference to the rescue provided. It's a reference to the rescue that was provided. In the last half of verse 6 and in verse 7, what does it say? It says, but you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Okay? God rescued Jonah. And finally, the T is a testimonial, otherwise known as a praise promise. In verse 9, it says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will repay. I promise to praise you. I will praise you. It's a vow of praise. So, why were we able to cover this so amazingly quickly? You thought we were going to get a second sermon, huh? Yeah. Because when you do a side-by-side -side comparison, you'll see that lament psalms are pretty much the same as Thanksgiving psalms. We just gave it different names to come up with a different mnemonic, right? So what are Thanksgiving psalms? Like, you know, the address, so if we, if, what are Thanksgiving? If in reality, lament psalms, Thanksgiving psalms are the same thing as lament psalms, right? So if we go to the next slide, you'll see, like, if I put the lament, address, complaint, trust, act, app, or lay it over onto Thanksgiving, you start to see, wow, the it's the address, the misery is the complaint. The deliverance plea is the appeal for deliverance. Assurance is talking about future rescue. The reference is talking about the previous rescue. And both have this promise to praise. That's what a Thanksgiving psalm is. Okay? So really, if we look at it, Thanksgiving psalms are really lament psalms, but on the other side of the lament event. Okay? So what the real difference is, is that you'll see that in the lament psalms, it's all present tense. Okay? It's all present tense if we go to the next slide. right? It's the complaint that I'm in right now. It's the plea that I'm having right now. Okay? In Thanksgiving, it's a past tense. Okay? This was the misery I was in. This was the deliverance plea that I had given. And so as we wrap up this morning, let me just leave you with a couple of things. Number one, what's missing in the Thanksgiving psalm that the lament psalm has. 
that seems to me a key element of the lament psalm, right? It's the one that's unique to the lament psalm. In that lament psalm, brothers and sisters, when you're going through a difficult time, when you're looking for a new pastor, we need to trust. How do we trust? We focus on who God is and what he's done. Who God is and what he's done. Constantly over and over and over again in the Old Testament, it says remember, remember, remember. Because human beings, I'm sorry, we forget. I can't even remember my kids' ages sometimes, right? Constantly it says, remember Egypt, remember Egypt, remember Egypt, remember Egypt. Remember how God saved you. But we so easily forget. You ever been sick sometimes and you're like, gosh, this is the, like with some kind of novel coronavirus? But like, right? Like you're, you're just like, oh, I wish I could just get out of this, right? Like, they, like the world is so horrible. And then like three days later when you're better, you're like, whatever. That was nothing. I'm a fan, right? That's how sometimes we get in difficult times. We, we cry out, but then when things get good again, we let that all go. Brothers and sisters, that's trust. One more thing. Lament psalms give birth to thanksgiving psalms. Lament psalms give birth to thanksgiving psalms. Right? If you look at the two psalms, they were meant to go together. They were meant to go together. Right? Let's think about this. You're going through a lament issue. And you have to recall all the things in the past that God has done for the assurance and the trust action. And let's say you get through it. Then you sing your thanksgiving, okay? What happens when you get to the next lament season of your life? You need the trust. What do you trust? In God and what has he done? What has he done? The previous lament psalm that you just did. And the more that you build, the more that you build, the more trust that you'll have in God. That's why as we get older in life, when I, when I look at older generations, they have a faith that I can't touch because they've been through life. You know, we think faith is about, oh, doing all this stuff when we're young, like, yes. Sometimes it's about faith is just about being able to sit quiet and, and, and see what the next stage of life that God is going to bring us. These lament psalms, they were supposed to be cyclical. In, in, in the psalms, I don't know if you know, they're broken up into five five books, okay? They're front-loaded with laments. The first five sections of the Psalter, okay? Uh, or, sorry, the first three books of the Psalter, 50% are lament. 50% are laments. 25% are either thanksgiving or hymn psalms. But in the last two books, it switches. Only 20% are laments, and 50% are thanksgiving and hymns. Laments, my friends, are supposed to lead to thanksgiving. Getting through your lament right now will help you with the next one. I'm looking at the time, and obviously I need some help landing this plane. Randall, can you help me out here? Play some, some, some nice, nice music so I can land this thing, right? <laughs> we got to get going. We got a second service going, right? I pray that Trinity Church, as one body of Christ, will be a people of trust that you know who God is, that you know what he has done, 
and he's been faithful to you since November of 1979. I think you can trust him. Amen? He's done it before. He'll do it again. And I pray that Trinity will come out on the other side filled with thanksgiving. God is good? And all the time. Let's take a moment and pray right now. What is it that you're going through? What's your rock? Is it hard for you to say that God is good right now at this moment? What are you bearing with you? Will you lift it up to the Lord? With the confidence that that you as this child, that you can, with the confidence that he is listening, and with the confidence and the assurance that he loves you, he cares for you, he sees you, he hears you, God is the good shepherd of this church. We don't put our trust in human beings. We put our trust in Yahweh. So Lord God, we thank you and I, I lift up Trinity to you and I ask that you would come in and, and you would dine with them. That you would restore them. That you would heal them. That you would lift them up. That we can commune with you. Lord, that every time that we can look back and we can see what you've done on the cross, we can see that what you, great work you started in 1979. And decade after decade after decade, you've brought us faithfully. So, Lord God, we look forward to the next decades of Trinity Church, into the future, knowing that you are good, even through this valley. We love you, and we declare this. In Jesus' name we pray.